This week's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash insideoutside. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash insideoutside to download your free audiobook today. Also, Dillashaw LLC. Not all attorneys are focused on startup legal issues. From setting up your entity to vesting agreements and term sheets, Bart has the experience and connections working with startups everywhere and has been a trusted resource for startups in the Valley, Austin, and the Midwest. On this episode, we discuss startup and founder difficulties. We also caught up with Shane Reeser, startup community builder in Omaha, early employee at Startup Weekend, and founder of Startup Genome, a company that maps and tracks your startup community. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside, your look into startups outside Silicon Valley. My name's Matt Boyd. I'm Brian Ardinger. And I'm Paul Jarrett. How's, how's it going? How's your That's week? my radio voice. <laughs> and we're back. Welcome to the Inside Outside podcast with Matt Boyd, Brian Artiger. I'm Paul Jarrett. You like that? <laughs> I do. I'm not making fun of you. I, I'm making I fun love. of you. You kind of, your eyebrow raise. I'm uh, not making fun of you. I'm making fun of radio DJs. <laughs> I love that. God. So this week we are talking about a pretty hard topic. Um, it's all about startup struggle, all about the challenges that we have as founders and how we deal with them. Oh man, is that thing charged up, Brian or Matt? <laughs> I could, I, yeah, I could <laughs> spit on this for <laughs> for days on days. Oh man, where do you even start? Yeah, well, obviously, founder struggles. Uh, you know, Brad Feld talked about it in, in his interview about depression and. Things I can't even those read lines. the blog anymore. I can't even go to his stuff because it depresses me. His, well, he had right one yesterday. Yeah. Right in the fields. What was the one called yesterday um, that you? Is, sent is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah. You know? Ooh, and it was right a, in the fields, bro. A founder who wrote Brad and basically said, "I'm I'm in the shit. How do I get out of it?" And yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a very common common story. I think like everybody, I think if you're starting a company, you're going to have those down moments. I think we we all have the, absolutely. The, the question is like how yep. do you, how do you deal with it? Yep. And if you don't think you are, you're headed for the shit faster, <laughs> faster than, than anybody and else. Harder than that's anybody. Like, that's else. like a pre qualification. Maybe, maybe not faster, but harder. Yeah, than harder. Anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's also why like entrepreneurs get along so well with each other because <laughs> like they all know, right? Yeah. Like you can't explain it until you've started something, and you know, you're. I always say like your your ass is on the line, and everybody else's ass is on the line, and you're calling the shots. Like, um, I, th- I think that's why there's um, uh, there doesn't have to be a long kind of. Um, t- period in which founders get to know each other. Like you just kind of know. And I think that's like big Omaha. Like that's part of the magic of big Omaha. Like you just, a lot of people just instantly click the way that I read that blog was like that guy was, uh, I mean, he was fighting with it. it. The, what I wanted to say back to the person that wrote that was like, Oh, it doesn't matter. You're wired for this. Like mm-hmm. you're most like, you know, he was saying like, it's just easier to get a corporate job because it, it makes yeah. way more sense like um, financially, mentally, physically, all the sense in the world to just get a, a quote unquote normal job and do that. But if you're just hardwired not to live in that world, like you're, you're I, I've, I've thought so many times about um, how much easier life would be if I could just <laughs> mentally check out. 
But and, there's also those people at the corporate jobs or at, you know, quote unquote, normal jobs right now that are probably listening to this. Like, I'm miserable. Yeah, that's, I tell that's you, that's absolutely true. Get out of there. Yeah. Go start a company. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot of people, um, I would say the vast majority of the people in the world are just kind of don't think about it. They, right. they just go to their job. They, I mean, they're happy. Yeah. And I, man, <laughs> that, that seems so awesome. Well, to it me. took, it, yeah, yeah. Amen. Right. Like if you're wired that way, but it took me so long to realize that like this world was out there. Right. Cause yeah. I, mm-hmm. I was kind of born and bred to like, um, you know, never take out a loan, never, you know, uh, kind of bootstrap everything and, and, um, you know, do things a certain way, like save up your 401k and, and that sort of thing. And, um, like this is, this is a different world. It's a different plan. It's a different business model. And, um, um, once I came to grips with that and understood that, like it's exciting and it's challenging and, and, and moves quickly. And, um, I enjoy all of those things. Ben Horowitz talks about it in his book, hard things about hard things. Um, you know, you're in a startup and that you're dealing with a lot of great, amazingly smart people and you're building some great things, but like the mean average score is like a 22 on a test, like if compared to a test <laughs> and it's like, you don't realize that 22 is a really good score. Right. And so a lot of times you get into the struggle of the fact that I think I'm doing these things right now, but I'm still not getting anywhere. And how do you get past that? How do you keep, right. keep so, going? And I think that's grit. part, part of that. Um, what makes a really good entrepreneur is the fact that they give a shit right. and they keep going. So they keep going. Keep My question: going. We we could stay at a high level. I want to get down into the weeds and talk about real struggles that we've had individually. Is that where we want to go with this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm. I'll, I'm trying to. My, I'll, I'll start. I mean, my biggest struggles almost always revolve around family work um, yeah. balance, and not that there's a balance at all. But, you know, when I was getting in motion started or, or early days with Nano Nation trying to get that up and going, there are sacrifices you have to make. Now, when I was when I was with Nano Nation, it was early. It was just me and my wife. It was a lot easier to balance that stuff. As soon as I have, I had two kids and, you know, uh, spinning up in motion when nobody knew what an accelerator was and trying to raise money for that and um, trying to get that off the ground, that is the hardest part is trying to balance the fact that, Hey honey, I've got to put in yeah. hundred hours just to get this up and going, but it'll pay off down the line. Right. And, and that's where I struggle the most. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I'm just kind of an anxious person in general and I've, I've learned to deal with it over the year. Yeah. I've been like that since I was 18, probably yeah. it just hit me all at once. Um, but I've, I've learned to deal with it over the years and just, it's just kind of something that's, around now and, and I've, I've actually taught myself like techniques on kind of yeah, t- yeah. almost talking myself out of anxiety. Yeah, it's interesting when you start leveraging your, those perceived weaknesses yeah. into strengths. So, um, I could, I could probably lay out like a few different things, but I think ultimately like for me, it boils down to, um, um, that inner dialogue, right? Totally. And, 100%. and, you know, we could win an award or we could hit our sales or whatever. And I finally, and, and this applied ever since I was a kid, all through sports. And, um, um, I'm trying to think of kind of when it came to the realization, but, um, my co-founder and wife was, we, we'd something happened and I was like, yeah, but like we could have blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no, like this is good. Like celebrate. I'm like, yeah, but it could have did better or whatever. And <laughs> so you're talking about more of like a negative inner voice. 
kind yeah, of situation. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know if it's negative, but it's always like, come on, you can do more. Come on, you gotcha. can do more. Yeah. And then realizing that's happening and you're like, oh, wow. Like it's never actually going to be good enough. Um, and then like understanding like why that's happening, where that's coming from, and then actually leveraging that um, to your advantage. So I actually, I think you, Matt, might have sent me a podcast and it's going to sound silly, but it was Schwarzenegger on the Nerdist. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he talked a lot about that mm-hmm. and, you know, understanding how you can use those things to your advantage. And I think there's a lot of people out there um, it's, it's, uh, that have that kind of thing going on where it's like, it can be better. You can do more. Mm-hmm. Don't go to sleep now. This needs to be done. Yeah. Well, um, the highs and the lows are, are so high and so low and mm-hmm. it, it, keeping that even kill is very difficult. Um, you know, it's knowing that, you know, when you close that big deal, it's, it's, you think it's going to change your company, but it probably really isn't yeah. going to, or oh, on, on the converse side, yeah, on the converse yeah, side, like right. you hit something bad and you get some bad press or something. And then it's yep. like, Oh, we're going to be sunk. And it's like, well, it's probably not that bad as well. So right. knowing that this it's, it's a little, probably a little bit more uh, even well, than you expect. Yeah. And writing out those emotional Everybody highs. Has that kind of like story in their head of like, you know, best and worst case scenario. And they don't think a lot about the in-between parts. And that's a lot of now where I kind of like find myself thinking is like, okay, best case scenario, worst case scenario. Okay. Now what, we'll what's, be in between there. <laughs> what's most likely to happen? Cause it's usually never life or death. It's, you know, somewhere in between that. I, I think it's important as a founder to not, um, is it the word catastrophize? Yeah, I like <laughs> you know, that. You know what I mean? Hashtag like catastrophize. Is that a is that a word? It is no. now. <laughs> it's now Mer- Merriam-Webster. Is that a word? Yep, yep. It's a hashtag. Um, I think that a lot of people go like to when you're in the heat of the moment as a founder. A, a lot of cause for uh, just the lows is in your. You, is it just lives in your own mind. Yeah. A lot of people, and I don't think that's just a founder thing. I think that's a human thing. Absolutely. And I think it's like actually the peop, the top performers, like it's probably more likely happening in, in those, ty- that type of person's mind. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people just kind of gravitate toward worst case scenario situations because it's, I don't know if it's societal training or whatever, but you know, it's, it's, obviously preconditioned in us. Um, I, I would just say like, like you said, the, the inner voice, um, train your inner voice to, to think positively and get you out of that and force it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I think, um, people, you know, whether it's, you know, just smiling or, or telling yourself positive things or, you know, I, I always find myself kind of when, you know, I just visualize like a roller coaster, right? And when things aren't going awesome, I'm like, okay, I'm just at the bottom of the roller coaster. Like <laughs> focus up. Like don't look down. Don't look around you right now. Like look up. Like you you know it's going to get better. And you know, when that that top part when you're at that top part of the ro- roller coaster, like enjoy it. Stay up there. You yeah, know? yeah. And and you have said, a good time and I, you said something to me one time that really uh struck a chord and I think about it all the time. It's celebrate the wins. Yeah. Celebrate the win. So whenever you oh, have yeah. something yep. that comes through and you're really, really pumped about it, like make sure that, that your team yep. knows about it. Make sure you really, really yep. drag it I, out. I think the other thing that founders oftentimes do is they get into the depths of the, of the roller coaster and, and don't know where to turn for help. You know, they don't have a mentor. They don't have, they can't go to their employees because they can't, they don't really want right. to let them know that how bad it is. Yep. Uh, it's hard sometimes to go to the co-founders. It's, it's hard. You can't go to your investors. So <laughs> like, who do you go to and, and finding those other, that's not right. Investors, fellow <laughs> founders, 
finding those other fe- fellow founders or, or others that have been yep. in the struggle yep. um, and, and surrounding yourself and, and reaching out. I think that's one thing that's it's hard to do, but I think it's vital if you're going to keep, keep going. Absolutely. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the kind of to come back what you were talking about is, uh, the grit, right. And, and, um, I find myself in, in challenging times, like, um, doing probably, probably reading startup stories. Like I should be reading the Bible, right. <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking for strength and like other startup stories and what people have gone through. And, um, yeah, that seems to, to really help me kind of get through challenges, but also like, man, back to what you, what, what we're kind of talking about is like that inner voice and being positive and externally being, but also like, I'll tell you what, what I see a lot of younger entrepreneurs making the mistake of is that they're not, that they're still surrounded by some kind of shitty people, Mm. right? Like they haven't deleted the, the negativity out of their life. Mm. Um, and I think probably some of the older people listening to this might like have a hard time understanding or putting themselves back there. But, um, you know, when you're just starting out, you, you might still have your friends from high school or college or, or whatever it is. And, um, what I've really done in the past, let's see, I'm 34 now and probably over the last three or four years, um, (laughs) if somebody's listening to this, I might be like, Oh, that's why he doesn't hang out with me anymore. (laughs) Um, but just people that aren't, you know, positive or, um, people that, um, I'm, I'm trying to surround my people with or surround myself with people that are successful, people that I want to be like. Um, and man, there's a pretty, like I pride myself on being like a ruthless editor. And when it comes to, to food and, um, people and whatever, you know, I'm kind of putting in my body mentally, physically, you know, whatever. Um, like I want those things to be the best period. And I think a lot of younger people make that mistake. I mean, why would you not give yourself every chance to be healthy, positive and succeed? And if you're hanging around not positive, awesome people, if you're not easy eating good food, if you're not doing the right things, if you're not disciplined, that's going to add. And that stuff adds up really quickly. And I think it can put you in a really bad spot. I think food, honestly, like diet, yeah. Is a massive contributor Huge. to the lows. And sleep. I think whenever sleep, is the other. sleep, sleep and diet. I mean, if you if you get into um, a funk, I, I would say the first place to look is what you're Absolutely. eating. Absolutely, because a lot of people, it, and it's a huge temptation when you're working long hours. Mm-hmm. You're starting something. You're stressed out. Comfort food is um, where you want to go. But I think it was I think it was Sam Altman from Y Combinator said that. Um, one of the best things that he's ever invested in was his health. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's so true. I, maybe it wasn't him. And yeah. it kind of goes back again to like, you know, like why wouldn't you give yourself the best chance for success? Totally. And, and I think it's also why you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and they eat the same thing for breakfast that they, and they eat the same lunch day in and day out. But I, I will get my numbers totally messed up, but I was reading about, you know, humans and, and, we have to make, we'll call it like a thousand decisions a day mm-hmm. and, you know, versus even 10, 20 years ago, whereas fewer decisions than that. But the more decisions you have to make, you know, the, the worse and worse they get over time. You only have so much brain capacity. Um, and then they threw in some startup founders and they're actually making like 1700 decisions a day. Um, so, you know, it's really easy to eat bad food or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So, um, 
I think, you know, eating the same thing day in and day out or just planning ahead or taking some time, it's a sleep and food dramatic impact. I mean, eat some leafy green vegetables. It sounds so stupid and you don't notice it right away. But after two weeks time, if you really kind of take mental note of how you're feeling and, and everything going on, and then you sway back into like grabbing McDonald's or whatever it is, like you feel like absolute crap. Yeah. Like you eat fast food and you literally feel like terrible. So well, one thing that I want to mention actually is an, a, another contributor to um, some of the lows is founder issues. And I know that not everybody deals with this, but um, I've dealt with it. We all kind of. Um, deal with it in some form or fashion. How yeah. you deal with it, I think, is a massive, massive indicator. But um, you know, make sure that you're you're nourishing the relationships with your founders. And yep. there's actually some books about that. Um, Founder dilemmas. There's uh, there's a amazing book, kind of de- uh, dedicated to the science of understanding founder relationship. It's not just like high level psycholog- mm-hmm. psychological yep. principles. Yep. So I think um, on that front, like you really need to focus on what you can control. Yeah. Um, You can't control the other person. Um, It's statistically more likely that you're, you're never going to change that person the way that they're doing. So what you need to kind of do is like, you know, uh, to turn that camera around on yourself and observe like what you're doing. Cause absolutely chances are it's a little bit them and it's a little bit you, but guess what? You can't control them. So how can you kind of focus on yourself and, and change your behaviors? And I think, you know, for us as a team, like our, uh, uh, sharing our Gallup Strengths Finders mm-hmm. and also the uh, color code test, like that, really, really helps. And there are times when when somebody does something, and I'm like, "What the hell are they doing?" <laughs> and then I look at my personality type first, and I look at my strengths, and then I look at that other person, and I'm going, "Oh!" And then, and then I like figure out it. It isn't like a clear cut answer to things. But it really um, helps you understand kind of the nuggets and the gives core. you a framework to think through. Right, right. Bla- Blake and Adi said this one time, and it really, man, it, Blake and Adi from Open Doors. Yeah, it made so much sense to me that they. I think it was in actually episode two of this podcast. If you go back and listen to it, they said, uh, you know, we they they really are intentional about taking inventory of each other's strengths and weaknesses yeah, and absolutely. only playing in the space that both of them are strong. So if they yep. know that one, one or the other is strong at something, mm-hmm. then they will celebrate that person's strength. And I think that is, that is if, if you can truly grasp that yeah. concept, yeah. It's, it, it's kind of mind blowing to yep. be, it's like, it, it's like mind altering. Yep. I, I think of, um, my co-founder slash wife. So we have a totally <laughs> interesting dynamic, right? Um, you know, until recently, so her her number one or number two strength, um, she's taken the test so many times, I can't remember, but on Strength Finders is uh, strategic. Yeah. And it is like six on, like it bounces between like fifth and sixth on mine. Um, and, uh, you know, there's sometimes decisions that need to be made. And I like to think that I have all of the information, but then I look and see like all the information that she has. And, um, she's awesome about, I mean, we, we joke and say when we started the company, we pretty much flipped a coin to see who was CEO. <laughs> and she's like, I don't, I, don't, I, I want to work. I don't want to go do uh, the other fundraising things and things that come with that. 
So I took on the role, but um, she's very good about like, hey, final call is yours. Like this is my space, but like, you know, final call is Mm -hmm. yours. And really, truly like stepping back and letting like that strategic and saying like, you are actually better at this thing than I am. Like, you're right. Like, that's hard. Like, cause everybody wants to believe that they have the strategy and they can make the decisions, but it's hard to step back and, and, and rely on somebody's strength, but something special happens when you do. What have been some of the struggles with launching, uh, um, <coughs> in motion? Well, I was gonna, I was going to get into uh, a little you bit. Probably, of, you probably see a lot with the teams that come through here, right? I think the biggest struggle and we you see, you probably don't want to talk about them and get in trouble. Right. So, uh, <laughs> In general, uh, at the earliest stages uh, of a startup, the, the biggest struggles we see are, are founder issues. Um, just learning how to work together, and I and, hate her. I and hate just learning him. that, uh, and it and it ratchets up a notch when it's a real business or when they first get funded. Uh, when even it if it's demo day, oh, is well, like shit going that, down right now? Before all that, no. <laughs> um, the, the issue is, you know, you, you now are in a real pressure cooker. It's like now a real business. Now we have real customers to deal yeah. with. Now. Yeah. I remember that. It's like, real. Sh- it got real. Yeah, yep. exactly. I think one of the, so obviously founder issues in that. I think the other biggest problem that a lot of early founders have, it, it, they get into that cycle of negativity in that because they don't get out of the building. And that in a couple oh, different, yeah. couple different reasons around that. One, they don't get out of the building to like just exercise or get a fresh air and things like that. Yep. But more getting out of the building and actually talking to customers and that they get so focused on what they're building or the product and they don't take time to like, why are we building this or what are we doing this for getting tied in back to that real big mission? I think that's a key um, to to avoiding these challenges is really understanding what your core mission is and and going for it. Yeah, I think founders, I mean, they need to pick each other up, right? Yep. They need to like support each other and push each other, not like tear each other down and, and you know, beat each other up because there's enough of that going on. And, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but like as founders or, or coworkers or whatever, like if there's somebody that's just constantly chopping and tearing down and being terrible and being negative, you got to get rid of them. Like you have to, you have to separate yourself from that or else like that's just one more notch in the, you know, um, likelihood to fail category. So we sat down with Shane Reeser, rockstar community builder and corporate innovation champion. I'm Shane Reeser. Uh, I've got two things going on right now in my life. One corporate innovation consulting. Um, and then the other thing I'm, I'm running startup genome. It's a nonprofit that maps and measures startup communities around the world. Um, so those two things take up my time um, to extrapolate a little bit more on my life. A couple of things before that are relative. Uh, worked at a couple of startups. Worked at Douala over in Des Moines. Lived there for a few years. Um, worked there just for one year, though, on user acquisition and engagement. I worked at a, a startup called Cohort, which is based out of New York. That was a venture-backed startup. Kind of a classic story. Raised $3 million, fail in two years. Learned a lot about what not to do. Um, learned some of what to do, but great experience. Um, and then prior to that, I was uh, the, the the first employee of Startup Weekend after they after Mark Nogger and Clint Nelson and, and Frank last name is French can't pronounce it Nouregia, uh bought it from Andrew Hyde and restructured as a nonprofit. Uh, Clint and Frank and Mark brought me in as a COO, and so I was there. Uh, kind of in the early days when they they scaled the nonprofit model around the world. So how did you get into startups and start 
community building. Was that your first taste of it? Or? You know, Startup Weekend was kind of my first taste of it. I mean, I, I, I did DECA in high school, and so I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, maybe this entrepreneurship stuff is for me, but I never acted on that. Out of college, I worked at Target, and I worked at an investment company. It wasn't until I moved to Des Moines, and I just happenstance moved into this apartment next to a guy named uh, Andy Drish, who told me about this thing called Twitter, <laughs> and uh, invited me to a tweet-up. I don't even think tweet-ups happen anymore. Anyway, he invited me to a tweet-up, and I met some people in this thing called a startup community in Des Moines. I thought, this is cool. These people are great. They're all excited about life. I want to get involved in this. And the way I decided to get involved was to run an event. I noticed in Des Moines there were a lot of people talking about startups and ideas that they had, but nobody had taken any action whatsoever on this stuff. Only a few people. And so I thought, okay, what, what kind of events are there that I could run that would help people take action on their ideas? And so I heard about Startup Weekend randomly in a newspaper in Kansas City. And I thought, I will run an event in Des Moines. It'll be a way for me to meet quickly the startup community. So I ran it. It was great. Clint from Startup Weekend flew down. It was one of their first events, yeah. I think, in the first like 30 maybe that Mark and Clint did. Maybe earlier than that. Um, and I was hooked. I was hooked on the startup community. The people there were tremendous, helpful. Um, I started volunteering more with Startup Weekend. I started as a volunteer. I was flying in New York, running their events out there. And soon after that, they landed a grant from the Coffee Foundation, offered me the job, and I quit my job at the investment company and went full-time, working remotely from Des Moines. Interesting. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, obviously, um, Startup Weekend just got bought by Techstars. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that and, and the kind of the evolution of how Startup Weekend was six years ago to where it's <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Uh, to be determined. Like, can we see what happens after, like, we did, it just happened last <laughs> week? I don't know. I think it's a good thing. Um, I've been I've been talking with Mark a little bit about it, um, you know, before it was announced. He kind of reached out to get my opinion. And my answer to him was, uh, this is a good thing and it should happen. Um I don't know. I mean, I guess the biggest kind of controversial topic is the switch from a nonprofit to a for-profit. And I guess that has some possible cascading effects down the line to us volunteers. Uh, I was reading through some of the forums of us, of the Startup Weekend community and people were asking like, hey, I don't know how I feel about raising money from local sponsors for an event if that money's actually going to end up at a for-profit, you know? Is the model going to change? Um, is all the money raised locally going to be able to stay in the community? Um, will, you know, does that affect my ability to raise sponsorship locally? Do you think sponsors will be like, eh, this is a for-profit company? The dynamics change now, yeah. you know? There's a potential upside to the owners of the for-profit company, you know? Like when Mark um, and I guess all the founders, when, when this transaction went down with Techstars, uh, everyone knew that there wasn't a cash payday for Mark and Clint and Frank and any of it because there's no ownership in the nonprofit. They didn't have a for-profit company set up on the side, so there was no, you know, nobody lined their pockets from this thing. They got jobs at Techstars, which is great, but and hopefully they'll, they they'll get some, I don't know, some kind of equity in that entity. I don't know how that could work. I don't know how that did work, but um, from a community perspective, um, I think stuff's just going to keep happening like it's been happening. I mean, it's it's a heavily volunteer-driven organization. Yeah, there's an HQ up in Seattle supporting and, and providing resources to all the volunteers, but the volunteers locally do 
90% of the work, right? HQ is giving them some tools. Um, I think it's just going to keep happening. I think there's, for me anyway, as I've, after I left the organization, I kept volunteering and I have been one of their most active facilitators. I'm not getting paid for any of that stuff. Nothing's changed for me. There's still great people that need to be inspired, that have ideas that need to be acted on. Startup Winging is a mechanism to help those people do that stuff. I believe in the model, and I'm still going to keep volunteering my time to make those things happen because I'm interested in the effect that it has on the individuals. Um, if Startup Weekend or Techstars went away, like the the entities, if they just you know somebody dropped a bomb on Colorado, Startup Weekends would keep happening. They would keep creating keep creating value, and I would keep supporting them. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think there'll be some people who are a little bit turned off by the whole nonprofit to poor profit thing. Um, and then maybe they go away, but the majority of people I think won't care. And there probably there might even be some people who see the new value that's created and jump into it. Um, the whole, um, you know, TechStars buying Startup Weekend, and uh, I think one of their goals is to create a more direct path to TechStars. I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious that TechStars is looking at this from a deal flow perspective. And I think that of the of the 100 companies that Techstars invested in last year, and please don't quote me on these numbers because I don't know if they're true, something like seven of them were startup weekend companies. So seven out of 100, right? But I think that like three or four of those seven were considered some of the best in the whole 100. Um, and if they can just double that number from seven to 14, yeah. that's worth it to them. Uh, so why did you leave Startup Weekend after work? Oh, yeah. Um, that's a topic I, that's, that's a decision I regret. And I wrote a, I wrote a blog post about it. It was my best, my most read blog post ever called, uh, something, or it's like, I can't remember the title. It was like the thing I think I regret the most or something anyway. Um, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, And when I went to work for cohort, cohort failed. And I was, when I wrote the blog post, I was wishing that I had stayed at startup weekend, but the reasons I quoted are still true. Um, I had a great thing going at Startup Weekend. It was a team I loved working with. I was creating real value. Um, I enjoyed doing the work. And I got recruited by cohort with the, kind of the promise of building the next Facebook. You know, It was this exciting company in New York. They had raised some money. They told me I was awesome. They gave me some equity. It was nothing, really. The equity was just nothing, you know? Um, and I, I think it was greed. I think my, my, my blog post goes into this a little bit, but I think it was, it was greed and chasing a shiny object. You know, um, the lesson that I took away from that was when you got, when you're working with people that you love working with and you're learning something every day. There's really no reason to leave because the grass might not be greener on the other side, and you, you know, uh, that's what I regret. I mean, I also there's also this like there was a feeling of like abandoning startup weekend a bit there were some people there uh like the guy adam who adam stell who took my job after i left um you know i i, I felt like i kind of abandoned him a little bit i feel bad about that there was a i mean i was i wasn't even there a year um i think i could have added a lot more value learned a lot more you know i left some stuff untied when i left i don't know abandonment greed <laughs> Yeah, man. I regret it. I regret it. I wish I had stuck around for sure, man. Plus, and this is no uh, this is no surprise to all the people that work at Startup Weekend or Mark, 
I think the organization um, made some bad choices along the way, and I think that I could have influenced some of those. Maybe I would have made some bad choices too, and you know, screwed some things up for them. But uh, you know, from out from the outside looking in, now I don't have the influence I used to, and I wish they had changed directions a little bit, and I wish I could have been a part of that decision. So you've obviously with Startup Geno and that you've seen a lot of different startup communities. You have a lot of curators that are kind of telling you about what's going on in different communities. What are some of the keys to building a great startup community that you've seen from around the world? Yeah, um, I mean, I subscribe to the Brad Feld model entrepreneurial driven, you know, feeders versus leaders. Um, so all of the ingredients that he maps out in his book, I totally agree with. Uh, but if I had to pick a couple, um, and I'm, I'm kind of looking at the Midwest a little bit, like let's put, let's put the coast, let's put the West coast on a shelf and call it unique. And then everything in between where there's lots of other amazing people doing stuff. What do they need? Um, Really, if you look at any community, and this is something I pulled out of all the research I did in Startup Genome, it always, no matter if it's a tier B or tier two, tier three city, you know, like anywhere from Kansas City up to even LA, there's always a really small group of key influencers that really make the difference. You go into any community and you ask the question, who are the three people that I need to meet that will connect me with everybody else that have made the most, there's always like three, you know what I mean? So those people, and those people, unlike me, because I've never been one of those people, I, th I don't think, I think I've made a lot of value in the communities, but I've never lived in these communities for more than three years. Um, and I think that th th those people need to stick around for a long time and have like a 10 year vision, you know? Um, so those three people, um, uh, and we were, we were t Brian, we were talking about this a little bit before we started this interview, but when I, when I, each time I've moved to a new city, I've kind of taken a little bit of time to look at the community and I think of a community as kind of a conveyor belt. Um, and this comes down from, uh, something that, that Frank over at startup weekend actually built. He built like a, a there was a visual of the entrepreneurial journey. Um, it starts off with inspiration, and then after they're inspired, entrepreneurs want to get educated, and then it's take action, and then scale and grow. Um, so I look at that conveyor belt in that city, and I think, what can I do to create the most value? Where's the biggest gap? Um, here in Omaha, when I moved here, uh, I, I decided that I could create the most value just by shoving as many entrepreneurs in the funnel as possible, because I think that's what we need here. I think we need more people doing stuff taking action on it. And I think that's I think that's the case across the Midwest or really anywhere between the coasts. We just need more activity. I mean, you could you could drill down and this is the debate that we were having earlier. You could drill down on any of those steps and say I'm going to help more people who've reached the action stage get to the scale stage. Um that's really tough. And there are people doing that um in most smaller communities like Anything five hundred thousand or less. What are those activities that, that go from that you're specifically talking about going to activity to scale? From action to scale. Yeah. Um, well, I think I, personally, I think accelerators fit right into that, or should. I think some accelerators take take startups that are earlier 
and I might even call them startups at that point, just some people with some ideas are kicking around. But if I was designing an accelerator program, I would look for companies that have already taken action and have some trace of traction before they go into the program so that instead of spending three months validating if they should do anything, they have a lot of that validation done. They know it's worth building and then they're figuring out how to execute and how to distribute. I think the mentorship uh, value add would be a lot higher in that, in that scenario. I mean, why Combinator and Techstars take those? They have, they have the luxury of taking those type of companies in. But uh, yeah, t- I think that's where the accelerator model fits right on that conveyor belt. At, yeah, sure. I mean, at the inspiration stage, you've got uh, conferences that pull people out of the woodwork. Um, any events that pull people out of the w- woodwork um, and get them into the community, so any kind of networking event, any kind of speaker series, those are typically at the inspiration stage. Um, and then, you know, after somebody goes to these events, and, they get, and also inspiration could be reading a book, could be meeting somebody, um, uh, TED videos, I mean any of that kind of stuff. Big Omaha is like the classic example of what I think fits into the inspirational stage here in the Silicon Prairie region. Um, and that's exactly what we needed when it was launched, what, six years ago? Is that right? Six years? Seven years ago? Eight years? Well, okay. Well, more than I thought. Um, after inspiration, education, um, and that's where people want to dive in a little bit more, learn you know, what to do, how to do it, learn more about their industry, you know, from an event from an event perspective, you've got meetups like the Lean Startup Circle. Um, I guess mentorship is actually kind of a something that hits all levels, doesn't doesn't it? You ever run into somebody in startup community and they're like, I don't go to events anymore, and like they're proud of that. They wear it as a badge. Like, awesome. It needs to happen more. Some people stick around and go to events for too much or for too long, and they're like, they should need they need to go take action at that point. Like, they've stopped learning. And they need to learn by actually doing stuff. Um, we need more of that. Uh, so, so you yeah. mo- you've moved on from uh, some of the startup community stuff, or working in, in startups themselves, and you've tried to now move to the corporate arena where you're trying to teach some of the, the mm-hmm. startup and that uh, to existing organizations. What are uh, I know you work for like Coca Cola and some other big corporations. What are some of the similarities and differences that you're seeing? with using some of these startup principles in a, in a big environment. Yeah, all of, the, all of the methodologies can be applied in a corporate world. Um, I think that there are some additional things that they have to tackle. So when I'm teaching the whole validation process to startups, it's all market focused, right? But when I'm in front of a bunch of employees who are working on new projects inside of a company, they have market risks and then they have the overwhelming internal risks of like getting this stuff reintegrated back in the organization and getting approvals and all that stuff. I think most projects inside of a company die because somebody decides it's not a good idea or it cannibalizes a product and the company isn't forward thinking enough to work on products that cannibalize their current products. Um, and so it's it's identifying those internal obstacles and overcome. We can, but we can apply the exact same process. You identify the obstacle, you go out and you interview people, you learn as much as you can about why they think this project wouldn't work, what scares them about this project internally. Uh, I, I, I give them a phrase that, that I, I encourage them to use when, they're, when they go to different stakeholders in the company, what would worry you? you know, what worries you about this? Oftentimes just asking that just melts the ego away and they realize, you know what, I 
actually, you know, I don't, you know, I like the really it boils down. They're afraid of getting fired, right? Yeah. But they don't want to say that, so then they they're like, okay, you're right. This could work. Like, there's no reason we can't explore this. So it's teaching them to overcome internal obstacles and uh, really seek forgiveness instead of permission, which is really hard to get them to do. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Shane Reeser for taking time to catch up with us. If you have a question for us this week, don't hesitate to reach out on Twitter at the IO podcast. And if you haven't already subscribed on iTunes, go ahead and do that now. Also, you can follow the host of this show at Ardinger, at Paul Jarrett, and me at Matt Boyd on Twitter as well. Music for this podcast is brought to you by bensound.com. Until next time, go build something big.